Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode. Every couple of weeks or so, our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, get together for a roundtable discussion. So here's a few minutes for free so you can see what all the fuss is about. Until recently, I had never, ever heard the term capitalism culture. It just, I've heard of culture and I've heard of capitalism and I think of capitalism as the economic system that is pervasive in our lives and, you know, controls much of what we do and how we think, but it just hadn't quite been crystallized the way it was when I heard the term capitalism culture. And unsurprisingly, there's actually a Wikipedia article for capitalism culture. So here's the quick description. Capitalist culture promotes the accumulation of capital and the sale of commodities, where individuals are primarily defined by their relationship to business and the market. The culture is composed of people who, behaving according to a set of learned rules, act as they must act in order to survive in capitalist societies. Anthropologists like Richard Robbins point out that there is nothing natural about this behavior. People are not naturally dispossessed to accumulate wealth and driven by wage labor. And so I have a few examples that I want to go through today that I think one after the other will help solidify this concept in people's minds, the the way it came together for me. This was one of those experiences where it's like I knew 20 things, like 20 stars in the sky, and then suddenly I saw them as a constellation. So I'm hoping that by the end of this episode, something similar will have happened for you. So the first story is a story that I thought of when thinking about the culture of capitalism and the role that capitalism plays in convincing people what is normal and right from coming from multiple sides. So there was a study maybe of more than 10 years ago, I think, um, about daycare late fees. The idea being that these daycares were taking care of kids, obviously. And then when parents were late to pick them up, the people running the daycare had to stay late. It was costing them extra money or they just couldn't get home the way they planned to get home. And so they thought to try to convince parents to get here on time so that we can leave and go home to our own families, let's implement a fee. And so we we will fine parents, you know, a sort of menial amount, but enough to send a signal, right? And so this article about the study from 2008 talks about how the late fees were not only no deterrent, but actually made parents more late more often. So the article says, the fines that most childcare centers now charge, typically $1 per minute to discourage adults from being tardy, may actually promote lateness, researchers have found. Certain cues can switch moral behavior on or off, says Samuel Bowles, director of the Behavioral Sciences Program at the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico. Charging for things often switches off moral behavior. 
And to me, I mean, that's everything there. I remembered this study from whenever I heard about it. I think it was featured in Freakonomics or, you know, the book or the podcast or something like that a while back. And that sentence there was everything I needed that charging for things fundamentally changes the calculation that goes on in people's heads from a moral and a cultural norm to an economic norm. And they talk about how lateness once would have just been a cultural norm and you want to be in a good relationship with the people you're interacting with. And so that's your motivation for not being late. But if you're being charged for it, well, now it's just a commodity. Lateness is a commodity. And so you can simply buy lateness and not worry about it. You don't even have to feel bad about it anymore because there's no moral taboo that you're infringing upon at that point. I was thinking about how this is reflected in the, the, the justice system. Like the justice system is put in place to be like the replacement for like moral judgment. It, you know, we have laws written by men and definitely written by men. And if you rob a bank or a convenience store and you get caught, you're going to jail. But if you're the head of a bank and you, you know, work for HSBC or whatever, and you launder money for drug cartels for billions and billions of dollars, you'll get fined. You're not going to jail. So there is zero incentive not to do it other than the calculation that what will it cost us? How much will we get to keep? So like there is no justice in that system. So even the justice system is completely upended by the culture of capitalism. Like there's no punishment for the, the, once you reach a certain point, they call it fuck you money for a reason. You can do whatever you want. You, you can see it in like murder cases and just, you know, any, any kind of crime committed. If you have enough money, you can probably get away with it. And then I also think it's laughable that Christians have this belief set that Christianity is the thing that keeps people moral. And that with, you know, without believing in a God, what keeps you abiding by, you know, these laws, these societal norms of behavior, right? But the most altruistic people that I know are atheists, myself included in that, that more selfishness, more of that like capitalist mindset takes place in Christianity than outside of it, but they don't see it. I don't understand how, but it's just that, like that ingrained belief that if you don't have laws, society will fall. If you don't have religion, society will fall. I, I've heard someone make the argument that the problem we are seeing in our society right now is that there's not prayer in schools anymore. It's just like, what? That's that's the problem in society? Yeah, that, that's the problem. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I love talking about capitalism, but I also hate it because it's so simplistic to be able to see, like, everything is so complicated. There's so many mechanisms in place, and yet it's so simplistic that it comes down to this root cause. Now, how we get past that, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I do know, but how we actually move others to go in that direction with us is mm-hmm. I think our uh, challenge. I think, I mean, this whole, you know, and I knew we were talking about the culture of capitalism today. I started, and I think it was when I was just kind of browsing that Wikipedia page to kind of get more of a sense of like the definition per se. 
I thought about those words that we use or the phrases we throw around like work ethic and productive and like all of these these phrases that put value on a person in a capitalist way, you know, show you where they fit in the machine. And then I I remember, I was like, there's something about work ethic. There's some weird origin to that. I have to remember what it is. And it was invented by a Puritan minister in the 17th century, the phrase work ethic. And you've probably heard the phrase Protestant work ethic. Like that's kind of where it all comes from. And, you know, the idea is like that, Uh, work and diligence have a moral benefit and an inherent ability, virtue, or value to strengthen character and individual abilities. And um, I was also reminded that I think David Graeber blames the phrase work ethic for bullshit jobs existing (laughs) in the world. Um, And of course, the roots of it, Christianity. So the the last thing I'll say about this story as, as we wrap up this example is that until this past week, probably... I would have thought about that story about the daycare centers and the fines they're imposing on on parents and the parents' reaction as the most, if not the only important part of it. I thought, okay, that's how capitalism works. You put a financial mechanism on a situation that doesn't call for it, and it changes things definitely not always for the better and can sometimes make things much worse. What I now think after this past week of, of sort of having my mind opened to the culture of capitalism in, in a slightly different way, is that it is, I think, equally important to look at the people who run daycare centers and why they thought that adding a fine was the best option they had to get the result that they want. Because we live in a world in well, we live in a culture of capitalism that tells people, put a price signal on it. If you want something to happen or you don't want something to happen, put a price on it in a way that nudges people in one direction or another. We don't even think about the idea of persuasion. We don't even think about trying to convince people with our eloquence, right? (laughs) We don't even think, like, why don't we have one-on-one conversations with parents about why it's important to us as daycare workers for the children to be picked up on time so that we can go on with the rest of our day. I mean, maybe they tried those things. I don't know. But the fact that these fees are so widespread and so normalized seems to indicate to me at least that people thought, well, that's probably the best way to do it. And we don't know any other way. So that, to me, is the culture of capitalism, that thinking capitalism is the solution to any problem that you may come across. Now, let's look at one more example or another in a list. This is a story, it's just sort of a local story out of the Boston area, and I, I think most people will see it as sort of a horrifying story. But I think seen through the lens of the culture of capitalism, it takes on a slightly different life. And and Amanda used the phrase, you know, the water we swim in a few minutes ago. And this story made me think about that phrase in a new way. I feel like we use the term water we swim in a lot in a way that sort of indicates that, well, we're the fish 
who knows we're in the water, right? The whole premise of the water we swim in is, you know, most fish don't know what water is, but we're the fish who does. This story made me realize that sometimes, if not a lot of times, I don't know what the water is. So the headline is, according to a prosecutor, driver in hit and run death left for job interview. And the article says the driver charged in a fatal hit and run in Cambridge left the scene after driving over the 80 year old victim because she was heading to a job interview. Prosecutor said Friday, Ashley Monturo, 41 of Pembroke, allegedly got out of her SUV, stood over the victim's body, got back into her SUV, called 911 and told the dispatcher that a woman in a walker may have fallen down. The argument that she makes is that she literally did not realize that she was the cause of this accident. She she just saw the person in her mirrors, thought that, that an elderly woman had fallen down, not realizing that she herself had run over them. So we can take that as granted and true for the sake of this. She did end up going to court and was acquitted for this. So basically, the judge uh, believed her story that she did not know that she was the cause of the death. So the dispatcher then asked Monturo to stay on the scene until emergency crews arrived. But she said she could not stay because she had a job interview. And the reaction to this is, you know, usually universal horror. And, you know, how could you how could you leave a, a you know a dying woman, particularly when you were the one who ran her over, taking for granted her argument that she didn't realize that she was the cause of the problem? I heard that story and I thought to myself, well, I mean, I can understand that. Like, I mean, you got a job interview, like there's pressures. She, she must not have a job. Like she, she also argued there were other people around, you know, like her being the person to stay there wasn't necessarily going to make any difference in this situation because there were other people who could sort of take over the role of talking to the 911 operator or waiting for the medics to arrive, attending to the woman in whatever way was possible. It didn't seem like much could be done at that point. And so to think like, well, am I really helping here versus I really have somewhere I need to go that is an action I need to take in order to get a job, in order to make money, in order to continue to survive in a capitalist system I thought to myself, that's, you know, I, I see that. Like, I can see why she would have made that decision. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm in the culture of capitalism. And I just did the thing without realizing the thing I was doing. I was swimming in the water without realizing it was water. Because if you take capitalism away, then the idea of abandoning a dying woman is nothing short of sociopathic. In the culture of capitalism, it makes someone like me, who's super aware of this stuff and like tries to be as good of a person as I can, think like, nah, I mean, you got a job interview you're going to go to. I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking like, what a triumph of work ethic and productivity. Like somebody <laughs> give this woman a key to the city. I, I don't, 
not trying to blow this up, but like, yes, go to that job interview. That's it for today's free sample. Paying members are who make this entire show possible. And so these bonus episodes are really just a fun way to say thanks to them for their support. In addition to these full bonus episodes, members also get bonus clips in every single regular episode, as well as perks in our Discord community. The Discord community is free for anyone to join, but there's a members-only area where recommendations of all kinds are shared, both from listeners and producers of the show. So if you'd like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestofleft.com support directly from our Patreon page or from right inside the Apple Podcasts app. And if you can't afford a membership, I offer free financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email to j at bestofleft.com and we will get you all set up no questions asked. Or again, to sign up, visit bestoftheleft.com slash support. Thanks for listening. Thank you.